Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real-life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Justin, good to see you. How are you? Good to see you as well, Devin, as always. Yeah, back in the studio here for a um, little bit of a different podcast, right? Yeah, a little bit different. Yeah. Kind of like a Q&A, I think, you know, kind of taking some questions that we've gotten from the field, from investors, stuff that's, you know, obviously timely and topical and um, kind of picking their part a little bit and asking you some questions since, uh, you know, people want to definitely kind of get your thoughts on these sort of things. Yeah. So uh, we want to kind of dive in on the state of the market. Mm -hmm. We're talking in November here. Lots happened this year. You know, we closed 600 doors first quarter in it. Feels like a uh, hundred years ago at this point. I and mean, the debt markets have changed so much. The Fed's uh, outlook has changed. The economy's changed. All that good stuff. So, let's kind of dive in and you know use this platform for you know people that are just getting exposed to DJE, and then also you know we'll probably send this to people that have been investors with us for years just to just as a check-in. You know? Yeah, and I mean like there's so much chat. There's so much chatter out there, you know. And so like this right. is a really really good way for us to give us like very very specific and practical feedback to people as far as what's going on in the market and what's going on as it relates to us kind of thing. So, yeah, I love it. Well, let's jump in. Cool. Um, what what do you hear? What questions are you hearing out there? I mean, there? everybody's talking about rate hikes. So yes. like you know, as far as rate hikes, how do you see that affecting operations right now? Right. So we got um, twenty three some odd. Uh, 100 units that, that we manage. Most of that's ours. We've got some third-party clients in San Antonio on the multifamily side. Mm-hmm. So the big 800-pound gorilla in the room on operations is, is where you've got variable rate debt, where we've seen um, interest rates that were in the threes or fours jump up hundreds of basis points, right? right. So if we've got an interest-only loan at 3.5% that's gone to 5.5% on a $20 million loan, you do the math. In some cases, we're looking at fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a month of increased debt service. Right. So, um, not that that came out of nowhere. I mean, we a lot of these projects and a lot of operators bought floating rate uh, products because those were the best products to get in for the last several years, right? Um, fortunately, along with that, we purchase rate caps. So, if interest rates go to ten percent, we've purchased an insurance policy that is a ceiling on how high our rate can go. So for the DJE portfolio, everything we have, we have rate caps in place that have maturities years out. So we feel pretty good about that, being able to kind of weather the storm there. But you know, you basically have an unplanned 10, 15, $20,000 a month increase on your operating expenses, which is definitely having an impact. I think for assets and operators that are operating tightly, operating well, it's a headwind. For others that were barely hanging on, it, it could be disastrous, right? right? So um, we're seeing that start to play out in the marketplace. You know, from an operations perspective, number one thing is, all right, we've got our debt services just higher. We've got to find that, that delta uh, every month, whether it's cost saving or increasing revenue, whatever the case is. Now, for context, this might be a 300-unit apartment complex generating hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, right? right. So. $15,000 is objectively a lot of money, but in the scheme of a, the, the larger asset, um, you know, just for some perspective there. The other th- component that we're hearing from the accounting teams is the draw process. So mm-hmm. a lot of times the lender will have escrowed funds for repairs. So lender says, hey, we got a million bucks escrowed for you. Go do XYZ improvements 
pay the contractors, and then we will reimburse you. So that reimbursement process seems to be taking a little longer. seems like the banks are not quite as willing to kind of let go of that capital. So I know our accounting team has been struggling with a little more rigorous process on the draws as you know, these, these rate hikes just kind of gum up the gears across the, across the board. Um, still seeing kind of the supply chain issues and shock and, and labor stuff. It's just been such a whiplash from COVID 2020, which also feels like a hundred years ago, but it was really just, just happened. And then the reaction to COVID, which was injecting trillions of dollars into the economy and then inflation, and then now the rate hikes to curb inflation. All that's happened in very compressed time frame. Really so, small time frame. Yeah. Relatively speaking. So the other side of that coin, acquisitions. How do you see that kind of um, affecting acquisitions? Because we're seeing a really kind of big disparity, I think, between buyers and sellers as far as expectations are concerned. So how do you see that affecting acquisitions? Yeah, I think sellers, understandably, still want Q1 2022 pricing, mm-hmm. where we've really seen runaway um, pricing expectations earlier this year, earlier in 2022, sometimes changing on a weekly basis. You know, we, we get a package from, an, from a broker and they'd say, you know, this deal needs to trade at $28 million. Mm-hmm. And you talk to them the next week, it said, mm, we might be able to get there. And they said, well, it needs to trade at 30 now. <laughs> she's like, oh. I was struggling at 28 and right. now it's 30. It seemed like this is weekly pricing change. And of course, all that was driven by cheap debt, right? Mm-hmm. So you got cheap debt. It, it creates the ability to borrow more, creates better returns because pretty much everybody in the multifamily game is after some sort of IRR target for their sure. investors. We're no different. So your leverage terms change. That's really kind of driving the whole deal. So. With rates up a couple of hundred basis points, right. you know, rates not in the threes, in the sixes now, right? right? And ostensibly going higher, the, the debt terms are just changing. Our leverage is also changing where you might be able to get 75, 80% loan to value a year ago. Now you're seeing 55%. Right. So your equity component has just exploded. Your rate's gone up. It's making it really difficult for deals of cash flow. We got an interesting data point on one of our assets, just took it to a broker and said, give, give us an opinion of value on this. And it was a lot lower than offers we saw on that same asset just earlier in the year. So helpful data point. The bottom line is if you, if you can avoid being a seller right now, avoid you do that. <laughs> However, you got some of these commercial loan maturities that are not measured in decades, they're measured in, in months, you know? So if you've got a maturity coming up right now, uh, there's gonna be pain. Yeah. There's gonna be pain. So I think that's gonna create some opportunity in 2023 for us and, and for others. And, you know, I think that the name of the game right now is hang on, operate well, and be in a position to take advantage of some opportunity. Now, when COVID struck, everybody kind of thought the same thing. Oh, people are going to be defaulting left and right. But then came the liquidity, right. which was quite the opposite. People weren't really losing deals. On the contrary, asset prices exploded because of all the new uh, liquidity. Um, so that's, that's kind of where it is. I think there's going to be some real buying opportunities next year. Mm-hmm. And from an operations perspective, you just got to be able to hang on and weather it. And, and hopefully... You know, if you're invested in a deal with the sponsor, they set up the deal where they've got several years left before a maturity or an extension. And that's the position we're in. We've got, you know, our, sure. our horizons are measured in years um, where hopefully we're in a different sort of uh, debt environment where we can refinance or exit, you know, at the, at the price we want. 
Right, absolutely. And, and so kind of going back to what you were talking there and then earlier on in the conversation about uh, what you're seeing as far as cap rates are concerned. Any sort of you know, narrative there that you can offer to us? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the cap rates have just, they've just gone up, right? right. It's if, if your debt leverage has gone down, your, your loan to value, loan to cost, your interest rates have gone up, the buying power that we all have, there's, there's no other lever to pull. So your purchase price has just gone down. And you know, I was having a broker conversation yesterday and it's, it's tough because a, a lot of multifamily operators made some real strides in the last couple of years on operations, on rent growth and things like that. Well, in the current debt environment, that's just been like reset entirely. Right. So um, that's just kind of the nature of things at this moment. It's also very fast changing. We've got an election coming up. Maybe, maybe uh, by the time this podcast is out, you got midterm elections. Who knows what's going to happen after that? Uh, the Fed remains extremely hawkish with mm -hmm. the hikes. And, you know, it's anybody's guess. Are they trying to get to maximum pain in the shortest amount of time? Right. Um, but they're reloading the gun. They're putting bullets back in the gun. And the only bullets the Fed has is, is cutting rates. Right. Exactly. Really. So they're putting bullets back in the gun. At some point, you know, a lot of people would speculate, speculate there'll be rate cuts. Mm -hmm. uh, we just, hikes got to happen first. Right. And, and kind of like the last question as far as multifamily stuff and the things that we're seeing there, rental rates, um, you know, renters behavior, things of that nature, anything to offer there? So San Antonio continues to be a great market. You know, um, we saw markets like Phoenix and Las Vegas just positively collapse from a housing value perspective in 2008, right? right? Stuff that people bought for a hundred thousand that got run up to 500,000 and then back to 100,000, <laughs> right? So if you were leveraged at, with a $400,000 note and your values went down to 100,000, I mean, there's real pain in some of those markets. Um, San Antonio has just always been slow and steady. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't really suffer tremendously in 2008. Um, and I don't think we're really gonna suffer tremendously through this downturn or recession or what, whatever we're in you know, now and for the next you know, foreseeable future. Um, rental rates in San Antonio, you know, year over year, we saw close to a 15% right. rent increase where, you know, historically we've modeled like a 3% rent growth. Mm -hmm. um, we're starting to see that taper off. Right. We don't expect another 15%. I mean, we're just running into an affordability cap. I mean, you can't yeah. just raise rents 15% a year uh, for, for multiple years in a row. We still are seeing, you know, a renovated product. We're seeing a premium. Um, our strategy, though, as an operator is really to stay fully occupied, operate well, cut costs, continue to make our investor distributions, continue to make our debt service payments, and really just kind of hang on. Yeah. You know, we're not pushing as hard on um, rent growth today as we were earlier in the year. We're really going for maximum occupancy, right. minimum, minimal cost. But San Antonio is a market doing great. We're still undersupplied on housing. And what this is going to do is... You know, if you're looking at buying a house right now with a 7% interest rate, you might be a renter for a couple more years, right? right? And I think there's a big contingent of folks in that. Whereas in the past, on some of our nicer assets, we would actually lose tenants because it was so easy to go buy a house. Right. So it, it, it oscillates, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we're in a spot where there's going to be a lot of renter demand and the supply didn't change overnight. You know, there's some stuff that's come online, but... It's not like there's this massive new supply of multifamily coming along, especially where we play in kind of that 80s vintage space where it's irreplaceable. You cannot create more of that product type. So strong rent growth over the last year. We think we're going to continue to see moderate uh, rent growth, probably not a decline. 
Um, certainly not double-digit rent growth moving forward, but again, San Antonio, kind of a steady eddy market. Uh, we just want to operate well, get through this thing that we're in now, and be in a position to capitalize when inevitably, I think some of these deals are, these distressed deals are going to start coming right. to market. Let's create some opportunity. I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so let's uh, kind of uh, pivot uh, to what the future looks like, you know, some other opportunities, other asset classes, things like that. Um, so... What kind of asset classes are we involved in besides multifamily? I could tell you, but I'm going to let you tell us. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So several years ago, um, we started diversifying into rural land. And um, that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it's, Fast. it's these ranches. They're short term. They're quick, quick term. We're not even using a bank. We just raise mm -hmm. the capital go in and get in and out of these deals. And there's been a lot of investor appetite for it. So yeah. that's been great. Um, what we found with that model is, you know, basically buying a larger ranch and selling it as a few smaller parcels mm -hmm. that creates enough of a spread to get investors paid. And, you know, there's some margin there for us, but it's, um, it's a very simple business model. And what we found is our, our end buyers, when we subdivide the ranch, they're not as price sensitive, right. you know, if rates are at four or they're at seven, the, our, the, our avatar for the buyer on a hundred acre ranch is somebody that's a professional, has a job, kids, financially established. They're just buying a ranch to maybe go build a second home on, maybe a hunting cabin. They, they're not trying to generate revenue from it. Mm -hmm. It's purely like a, for the most part, is kind of this auxiliary second home type thing. Yeah, it's like discretionary. Almost. It's discretionary, yeah. right? And so the, the people that want that uh, turns out there's a lot of them within, you know, that want 100 acres within a couple hours of a major metro in Texas. So it's slowed down, but we're looking for a spread, right? So we want to buy here and sell here. Well, our buy price is, has um, gone down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're able to buy land a little cheaper. Right. Our sale price has gone down too, but as long as they move in tandem, mm -hmm. all we're worried about is our spread and our ability to get in and out and execute. Correct. And we haven't seen that be impacted. So we still want to do a ton of land deals. Um, it's also just fun, you know, put on the boots, go out to these ranches and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good time and it's incredibly simple compared to the complex machine that we have built to run, you know, a five, a 300 unit apartment complex. Yeah. And a great way to keep capital at work whenever things yeah. like multifamily are hard to get into or something. Like yeah, that's right. I mean, we don't, if we needed to go nine months without doing a multifamily deal, we would, we don't, we don't want to buy a bad deal, Right. but we don't want to go nine months. Exactly. Investors don't want to go nine months if they got capital to yeah. employ. So land's been great there. Um, it's been a completely different strategy than multifamily. But that was the idea. It's just kind of diversifying without going crazy. We're not building condos in Brooklyn or anything like that. It's still Central Texas. It's still, um, you know, a margin of safety baked in. Totally different asset class, but enough familiarity, I think, for our firm that everybody, us and investors, are are happy with yeah it. absolutely just real opportunistic but also de-risked as much as we can yeah that's that. right yeah yeah um it, let's kind of talk about investor sentiment just kind of just some just general feelings as far as you know things that you've been hearing like i'll jump in there some things that i've been feeling as far as how our investors are feeling during this time period is there anything you could share there you know from my perspective it's i mean i only have the the things that i'm looking at as data points it seems like uh DJE and the deals that we've done this year 
have been like relatively unimpacted. Mm -hmm. I'm in touch with a lot of other operators that are having a hard time raising capital, whether maybe they're newer or whether their investor base is just saying, you know what, I'm going to sit this out, see how it shakes out. Um, You know, the problem is if you're in cash, it's getting eroded to pretty high inflation. If you're in the stock market, that's a, that's a wild ride. So, you know, sitting on the sidelines for an extended period of time is, is also not a winning strategy. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a tough spot investors are in right now. Mm-hmm. I think what we've seen for our firm is there's just enough of a track record there. There's enough diversity of types of deals and just delivery after delivery after delivery after delivery where people are like, you know what, if you guys are doing it, we're, we're in on it. Right. Whereas I think newer sponsors or sponsors that are um, trying to put together deals that are a little outside their comfort zone, it seems like a lot of investors are just pushing pause right now. Yeah. And one thing that I've kind of gathered is that, you know, investors understand right now. And I think that relative to our, our portfolio and the way that we do business, investors understand that we're not, you know, like if we don't have something to bring to them, if it's, you know, from a multifamily standpoint, they know that we just don't have something good to show them right now, you know, and like they understand that. And at the same time, I, they've been just really appreciative of the fact that we have been able to pivot and bring other stuff to market and keep, you know, money in play. So there's not an erosion of purchasing power and things of that nature. So, um, from what I've been hearing, you know, people are hungry for deals, but at the same time, they're very cognizant of the risk that could be present in a lot of deals that are out there in this, in this kind of industry. So, yeah, totally agree. You know, one of the things I like about the land deals, the way we structure it is we're kind of sidestepping the entire banking system. You know, on the multifamily deals, we're getting a loan for 70% of the deal, $10 million loan. I'm sorry, $10 million deals a $7 million loan. And if the loan terms change materially, Rates are up three points, mm-hmm. leverage is down, you know, from 75 to 55. Okay, that completely changes the economics of the deal. And we're at the mercy of the Fed and the banking system, mm-hmm. which we all are. The land deals, we're just going in cash. So we show up, you know, to buy a thousand acres and say, here's our cash offer. We're going to be an easy buyer. And we close that one and 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 that one. And the seller goes like, all right, it's cash offer. I mean, what's better than that real estate? Then we come in all cash, no lender, execute our strategy and get investors out in 12 months. And it's it's really like we're kind of playing. We kind of invented our own game. We're not really at the mercy of the bank. Now we are at the our buyers are at the mercy of the lending environment. But a lot of times they're coming in cash. They're coming in with a, uh, a loan where they're not price sensitive. Mm-hmm. They know that they want to buy a ranch and they want to pass it down to their kids. If they buy it with a 7% interest rate, well, they know they can refinance it in a few right. years, you know, when interest rates exactly. are better. And so it, you don't have a price sensitive buyer. Right. So I love having an, a playground that we can operate in that's like outside the banking system and not at the mercy because the multifamily is a hundred percent at the mercy of the Fed and everything else. And that's fine. That's that game. But we're playing another game on the land stuff. And, you know, it's not a primary business, but it's a great menu item for the, us to stay busy, the team to stay busy. It's, a, it's another menu item for investors. So um, that's that's been great to have. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad we have it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, let's kind of pivot to um, the headwinds that you're seeing for the rest of this year and what you see for 2023. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the rate caps have saved everybody's bacon, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got 
interest rates have gone up to the max of whatever the cap purchase was. Maybe you're capped at a 5% interest rate. Well, if rates keep climbing, there's going to be some deals out there that don't have rate caps that might just get absolutely clobbered. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be, there's going to be deals lost and, and, you know, bankrupt and operators are going to lose deals. That's, that's going to happen mm -hmm. most likely. I don't want to be too aggressive on that because people are saying that when COVID hit too. And then here comes this curveball. So I don't ever want to pretend like my crystal ball. Nobody is wants to be doom and gloom, you know? Yeah. But a hundred percent people are seeing, you know, higher interest payments and that if they weren't already doing well, that's going to crush a lot of operations. Yeah. So headwinds there. Um, just, just having uh, a higher debt service. And if you weren't already in a good, in a good spot, that's going to be tough. We're still seeing stuff with supply, you know, supply chain stuff. We're seeing five gallons of paint pricing is astronomically high compared to what it was two years ago. Where uh, labor continues to be a challenge. I think any business owner is kind of struggling with, with getting good talent and mm -hmm. retaining good talent. So, but those aren't new, you know, right. th that's been happening for the last two years and we deal with it like, you know, as well as any other company would. Um, but, but definitely I think if, if you got loan maturities coming up as an operator, you know, and you're not able to sell at a price that um, is gonna get you your returns that you promised to your investors, you know, you can take a bath. So that, that some people can get hurt. And, mm -hmm. and that is the flip side of that coin is, you know, we want to be there to, to, um, you know, capitalize on, on that when the, when the time comes, if it does, you know, maybe there's something around the corner. We don't know that's going to, uh, you know, if the fed got to start aggressively cutting rates, that's yeah. going to ch completely change things. Right. But the headwind there, I think is just, um, operations that were not already strong coming into this, um, are really going to be tested. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things that I really love seeing like in our leadership meetings and our weekly meetings and things like that is how quickly and how often we're having the conversation in relation to these sort of data points and these changes, like sure. at the project, at the project and property level, what are we going to change this week? How is this going to change in relation to the plan and, and what's changed with the government or whatever over the last week? So that's really inspiring. And I mean, with, without being able to have that sort of connectivity and ability, you know, that integration to just be like, Hey, make this change now, make that change next week, whatever it is. It's just, um, it's just a really, really strong position to have yeah 100 percent. you know and i never want to tempt fate but we've been building something we've been practicing this <laughs> yeah, right right we've yeah. been building the operations team yeah. to be vertically integrated we've been building other avenues to have investments to show investors that aren't relying on multi like yeah. we've been prepping for this right. right yeah now you know not that anybody's invincible but we've been thinking about this stuff for years right and and be and want to be in a position to hang on through a downturn and prosper coming out of it. Right. Absolutely. Those are all the questions I had for today. Anything else you'd like to add before we close up? Yeah, this is great to catch up. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully those listening got, you know, a little insight into what our firm's doing, what the market's doing and, and all that good stuff. Um, I would just say if anyone's interested in connecting with us, get, you know, schedule a call Connect. with you. They can hit yeah. the website. There's a, a link below. Get on yeah. your calendar, get to know you and, and, you know, see what, uh, see what that relationship turns into. Cause it all kind of starts there with the yeah, relationship that's the and first step. kind of getting to know us. Yeah. The first step. And if, you know, this kind of, this conversation picks up any additional questions amongst people that, uh, it'll definitely be a good conversation to have. So I appreciate the time today. Debbie. Yeah, absolutely. Great catching up, Justin. Talk you soon. too. Right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.